Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome to Canusa Street. I'm really excited. Today, we're going to talk about one of the oldest trade disputes maybe in history, the the perennial favorite, uh, the Canada-U.S. softwood lumber issue, I'll call it. And uh, uh, really excited to have with us our distinguished guests, including uh, Senator Trent Lott, who is iconic in American politics. And um, Chris, maybe maybe you could both introduce the senator uh, and introduce the issue of softwood lumber. Why are we talking about it today? And then and then we'll have a dialogue with uh, with Senator Lott. Well, Scotty, this is going to be a great episode. We have a legend in Washington, former Senator Trent Lott. Uh, joining us to talk about softwood lumber. And this is one of the oldest disputes that we've had between Canada and the United States, comes up again and again. And Trent Lott saw it both as a member of the House, where he served um, for eight terms, uh, and then as a member of the Senate. And he had been a staffer, actually, even before uh, he was a, a member of Congress uh, in both chambers. So we've seen this issue coming coming and going. He's been a big part of, of some of the disputes over the years and his insight, I think, into what drives the U.S. Uh, in this dispute uh, will be a really, really helpful thing for us. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. This is a good thing to do. And I want to thank the uh, Canadian American Business Council for the work uh, that goes on. You know, Canada is our neighbor and our best friend. And so we need to have uh, an understanding. We need to have ongoing relationships. Uh, we need to go there. They need to come here. And when there is a disagreement, we need to find a way to work them out, although they're quite often not easily done. Well, that, that's right, Senator. And, and thank you for saying that. We couldn't agree more about the importance of the friendship uh, between Canada and the United States. And um, and you and I have had an opportunity to work a little bit on Canada-U.S. issues over the years. And it struck me early on, you, you know, you said in one of our first conversations that uh, that the Canadians bent your ear a little bit on the issue we want to talk about today, softwood lumber. So may- maybe you could talk a little bit about that with us, uh, about how, how you first uh, got involved in it and what your thoughts are today. I was surprised when I went from the House to the Senate how much more you get involved in international issues, uh, because the Senate does the treaties for the most part, the confirmations, and also how much we got into trade issues. When I first became majority leader, my staff would say, oh, well, you got to meet with the Canadians, you got to meet with the, uh, the British. You gotta, I said, I, I, wait a minute, I, I don't want to do that. Well, I found out that's an important part of the job. And I did uh, get involved in trying to help resolve some uh, disputes. I got in trouble a couple of times. One time on behalf of the banana industry, which uses the port of Gulfport, Mississippi, I got in a big fight with the Europeans and talked to President Clinton about it. He wound up putting some tariffs on Scottish Tasmir, in addition to other things. Uh, and I was blamed for that tariff. And in fact, the uh, Lord Mayor of Edinburgh withdrew my honorary mayorship. Uh, but I wound up meeting with Tony Blair and told him, you know, you could help work this out. And he did. We solved the banana problem. We have got the tariffs over Scottish cashmere. But I don't think I was ever involved in uh, more trade issue meetings and discussions than uh, Canadian lumber. And uh, I'm from the state of Mississippi. We are a, a timber growing state. Uh, in fact, uh, full disclosure, I've got a 200 acre plantation pine uh, farm right in central Mississippi. And I take cuttings every now and then to become lumber products. 
But uh, going way back to the 90s, uh, you know, it really got to be, uh, you know, very difficult in dealing with uh, imported Canadian lumber. And uh, even my constituents were divided. Uh, my home builders, uh, they like uh, the cheaper lumber products out of Canada. My timber growers, not so much. So there was a division here. And then, of course, uh, the Canadians uh, uh, had uh, some issues with what we were doing with the tariffs that we put on. It wound up born in W, the World Trade Organization. And uh, I think they ruled at least once uh, in, uh, recently in behalf of, uh, of Canada. But uh, going back to the 90s, I had a lot of meetings with senators, particularly senators from states bordering uh, Canada uh, or including, uh, you know, Idaho, Montana. We'd have meetings, Republicans, Democrats. We were hearing from constituents that were mad about the Canadian timber prices. And uh, so I used to encourage, uh, you know, some tariffs to try to get a result. I wound up, among everything, other things, meeting with the then Prime Minister uh, of Canada, uh, Pierre Trudeau, uh, also referred to, I believe, as PET. Quite an interesting discussion with him. And, of course, that's the current prime minister's father. But he was quite agitated about the issue, and so was I. Uh, and so we went back and forth. But here we are now, uh, what, 30 years later, and we're still uh, arguing on this matter. Uh, Senator, I want to pick up on that a little bit and put some context out there for listeners who are not familiar with all the back and forth uh, that we have. Here in Washington, we sometimes think of the current softwood lumber dispute as lumber five, since it, there have been five waves of the dispute. You mentioned Pierre Trudeau, and he was in office in when the original sort of modern dispute we call lumber one occurred back in 1982. Uh, that dispute uh, we tried to resolve and had kind of a temporary resolution uh, that held the line on the issue, but we were fighting again in 1986. And that was an important fight um, because it was the 1986 uh, fight that led to a resolution, the first lumber deal that we call Lumber Two. And negotiators thought we had to clear the decks uh, of this dispute in order to negotiate the Canada-U.S. Free Trade Agreement. And Brian Mulroney, who was then the Prime Minister of Canada, worked with the Reagan administration to resolve the issue. And we had it in a deep freeze for a while. Then um, we approached NAFTA. And as NAFTA was coming onto the radar, we entered into Lumber 3, which started in 1992. This was yet another dispute over lumber that held us up for a while. And in 2002, uh, we were a, we had the fourth iteration of this dispute, Lumber 4. And the one you mentioned, Senator, uh, that, which is Lumber 4, went to the WTO, a NAFTA panel, and there were a lot of hard words over the dispute. In 2015, the agreement we finally had that came out of Lumber 4 expired. And so since 2015, we've been talking around the margins of a, of a new deal, but we're, we're now at loggerheads, no pun intended, and once again fighting over this issue and wondering what Lumber 5 will, will lead. And at the heart of all of these disputes, we have the same basic issue, which is that Canada has a lot of land that is in public hands, and they have a process for allocating what they think is the safe amount to harvest in a given year um, out among companies, and they have replanting requirements and so forth. Whereas in the United States, much of the land is in private hands, and some of it is smaller parcels and a little less efficient. And so you see 
Um, in Canada, the cost of acquiring timberland is lower and for many Americans, that feels like an unfair subsidy, that the governments are basically giving away valuable logging rights to their companies, whereas in the United States, with the auction system, private landowners charge a lot more. And uh, it can actually look to American, like uh, Canadians are getting access to their timber, very inexpensive. Well, I think, in fact, uh, if I could interrupt you, I think they are. The fact is, they're getting it very inexpensively. And then it comes in the United States, where our home builders like it, but our timber people don't care for it at all. Let me comment also on something you said. I dealt with uh, Mulroney uh, quite a few times, too. I was a big fan of his, as a matter of fact, and uh, also worked with him on some aviation issues that he wound up working in uh, later on. But, yeah, I, I was in the, the house in the 80s when this all started. I was a whip in those years uh, during the Reagan administration. And then in the 90s, in 92, uh, I worked to help, uh, I believe it was 92, to help get NAFTA passed which was not easy, by the way. We had some people that didn't like NAFTA. And uh, in fact, even in recent years, it was criticized once again. But I did think that there was a tremendous achievement just a couple of years ago when we got the new USMCA. Uh, it shows that, hey, we can get an agreement, even when it involves not only the United States, but our neighbors, Mexico and Canada. So it can be done, difficult though it may be. Well, it, you know, Senator, you're right. It can be done. We can get big agreements, but it's interesting listening to Professor Sands. Lumber has never been part of NAFTA. It's never been part of the USMCA. And why do you think it's so difficult? Why is this one that? Why is this one where we can't even agree to put it into the big trade agreement? Well, it, it is tough. I mean, this is a big, important issue to Canada. Uh, this is one of the major things they produce. Uh, and, you know, I used to even get mad at them. I accused them of uh, drilling a hole in two by fours so they could get into the United States under a different description. So, you know, uh, the words got a little hot sometime. Uh, we basically accused them of cheating and uh, of subsidizing the industry. But the flip side of that is it's big in, in uh, Mississippi and, and uh, the United States. I mean, we have some states that are primarily timber producers or agriculture related. So it, uh, it's, it's important to, to both uh, countries, uh, you know, and I even dealt uh, with countries like Finland. I got Finland to put a plant uh, in Grenada County, Mississippi, to, uh, you know, to help us with some of our needs. So, but it, it, as hard as it is, uh, I do think that maybe the groundwork is being set up now to get an agreement. I, I, I think the administration is overplaying their hand by the new uh, threat of a significant uh, increase in tariffs. I guess their, their thinking is to try to force a sit down before November to get this worked out. Now, I was very close to our former USTR Ambassador Lighthouser. Uh, I don't know our, our present, present trade rep, uh, uh, Ambassador Ty, as well. But from what I hear, she's very active. And uh, talking to our European friends uh, daily about some of the issues, and I understand that she is already uh, reaching out to her Canadian counterpart. That's good. When you say, uh, Chris, I'll ask a couple questions, then I'll turn it over to you. I promise I won't. I won't filibuster too much longer. But uh, it's all right, Scotty. You sound like a senator. <laughs> I guess what I wanted to ask you is, when you, what was it like when you're sitting down with Pierre Elliott Trudeau or Brian Mulroney? Like, did they come to your office? Did they, did they schlep down to Capitol Hill to, you know, sit down and and try to try to talk with you like like describe that for us what what was that like 
Well, again, I found out when I became a leader, a majority leader in the Senate, that one of the things you have to do is to meet with leaders from, uh, you know, from other parts all over the world. I didn't think you want to do that. And it was not only country leaders, it was religious leaders. And uh, but I soon realized that was an important part of my job and one that I came to enjoy. Now, my uh, confrontation with um, Prime Minister Blair was actually in the hall in front of the Ohio clock at the entrance of the Senate chamber. And he came over, pretty much got right in my face about the oh. tariffs on Scottish cashmere. And of course, I fired right back. Well, you help us with this banana problem and we'll get this worked out. But in the case of Mulroney, you know, I had an affinity with him early on. I just liked him a lot. Uh, you know, Pierre Trudeau uh, had a personality big as the side of a barn, you know. And uh, But I met with both of them in the uh, the conference room there in the majority leader's office uh, quite often it was to you know talk about treaties and talk about relationships talk about military matters but more often than not it was to talk about trade issues and i remember my meeting with prime minister trudeau at the time was pretty heated uh, both in his part and my part but that's how you solve things you sit down you get candid and you say okay i don't agree with what you're doing you don't agree with me. Now, where is the sweet spot? Absolutely. And one more question for me, and then and then I'm done. Um, when it, a few minutes ago you said you thought the administration had overplayed its hand a little bit on this on this lumber issue, do you mean the Biden administration or Trudeau? Which one are you talking yeah. about there? Well, no, no. Uh, and of course, uh, you know the previous president Trump uh, imposed additional tariffs, and then after a WTO ruling, he backed away from it. I think that the tariffs now are what nine nine percent or something like that. But now Biden is saying that they're going to, uh, you know, really have a significant increase in the tariff going into effect in November. Uh, I, I think it's for effect, but that would have a really negative impact if they actually had to go through with it uh, on on the whole issue, and certainly on on the price of. Uh, that Canadians get for the timber products and the price that Americans pay for their lumber. So I, you know, I'd say he's overplaying his hand by how, how much of a tariff increase he's talking about. But I assume, as I said, it's for effect. Let's try to get their attention and, and find a way to sit down and see if there is a solution that can be worked out. Senator, you mentioned Ambassador Lighthizer, and I remember when he was serving as U.S. Trade Representative, there was a big debate about trade dispute resolution. You know, we've had Canada's free trade panels on lim lumber. We've had NAFTA panels on lumber and, of course, have gone to the WTO with disputes on lumber. And in recent years, I think a lot of people in the trade business have been saying, well, maybe these arbitration panels aren't really as effective as, um, as they should be. And as you were talking about uh, these disputes, it seems like the Senate or going straight to Congress is a much more effective way to resolve disputes. What do you think about these dispute panels that we've set up through our various agreements? Are we better off just going legislator to legislator? Uh, or do you think this is something that's really better if we litigate it? Well, you, you would think that these dispute panels would be the way to go, but their record is not great uh, in other areas as well as this one in particular. Uh, I really think that, uh, you know, legislator to legislator uh, is a very effective way, uh, maybe a better way. But uh, leadership always comes to the very top. Uh, I think President Biden wants to have a good relationship with Canada. I think he would like to be supportive of, of what I, I'm sure is his friend, Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, they need to engage. 
if I were president, I would pick up the phone and I'd call my USTR ambassador and say, get this worked out. And, and maybe even ask a question. You know, I've been to the trade office to sit down with the people and say, okay, where are we? What can you all do? What do we need to do? Uh, that's the way it needs to, to be done. Uh, but in today's world of social media and all the distractions, uh, it's hard to, to make that happen. But this, this is an important dispute. It, and it's one that won't be easy. If it were easy, we'd have already figured it out. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we think that they have an unfair subsidy up there. Um, and uh, it's kind of like the dispute that's going on now between steel and aluminum. The U.S. steel companies kind of like the, the tariffs. But obviously, the rest of the world that's being impacted by that, uh, the United Kingdom, Europe, everybody else, the United States, they don't think so much of it. So um, this this is an important issue. Um, you know, I served in the Senate with Joe Biden. Uh, he served in some important committees, judiciary chairman and foreign relations. I think this is an area where he might want to be engaged. And sometimes issues like this, as difficult as they may be, are better than American politics. <laughs> Thanks. It makes me think a little bit about how people respond to these disputes. And in Canada and some of the provinces, they've decided to go with a, a more auction style system uh, for allocating timberland for companies. New Brunswick in particular has gone lo a long way toward adopting the U.S. style in order to avoid future disputes. However, the way the current dispute is going, we're hitting all of Canadian lumber because we want to put maximum pressure on the other provinces to make changes to their rules. Putting yourself in the position of some of these provinces who are trying to meet us halfway or all the way in the case of New Brunswick, do you think this all or nothing strategy squeezing the Canadians is the right way to go? Or should we take yes for an answer for some of the provinces and actually try to have a different uh, rate or differential uh, tariff rate based on the source of the lumber coming in from Canada? Well, I think maybe we should, uh, as you say, uh, take yes for an answer. I've, I've been impressed with the way New Brunswick uh, has been pretty uh, reserved and how they've re responded uh, to this issue. Uh, I really have enjoyed working with provinces in Canada. I, I'm kind of by the provinces like I am the states. I like the states better than the feds. I think that might be true in Canada, too. Yeah, I think so, too. And I just want to ask one more question. Uh, and I think some of our listeners being Canadian might not appreciate that trade is a very special area in the U.S. government. It really is an Article One power of the Congress, an Article One of the Constitution given to the Congress that you have jurisdiction uh, over trade. And it's not a question for the president to make deals. Getting too far away from Congress has never changed. Uh, nor has it ever really resolved disputes. Do you think that's something from a Canadian perspective that they need to take on board, that Congress is very much at the table in these kinds of discussions? Absolutely. I, I agree with you totally. And that's why I wound up. I hadn't planned on it and didn't know I was going to have the opportunity. Uh, and it was a challenge. But I became very much involved in trade issues. And quite often when I met with leaders of other countries, that was a top issue. Uh, maybe sometime even ahead of defense issues. Of course, I always had to wrestle with the Europeans about the fact they weren't carrying their share of the load on, on defense. But, uh, yeah, I, a lot of people, uh, I had, as long as I had been in the Congress and the House and studied government, I didn't really realize how much uh, the legislature, the legislative bodies have a role here. And, uh, you know, of course, and I talked to my friends from up there on the border from places like Michigan and Illinois and of course, they get they get pretty grouchy about things like uh, dairy. 
So, and I had to deal with that in the United States. I had to, you know, referee fights between the Wisconsin dairy and, and Vermont dairy. Uh, well, you know, so uh, those are, those are tough issues too, but yeah, I think you're touching on a really good point. I think the United States government and the Canadian government would do well to maybe reach out more to our legislative leaders and get them involved in finding a solution. Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned dairy, Senator, because you've given us the soundbite to promote our next podcast where we'll uh, we'll talk about dairy. Um, I want to ask one last question and, and also give you the opportunity to say anything else you'd like to say and for Chris to, to, um, to wrap up too. But just on the last point you made, Senator, about about legislators talking to each other and, and governments engaging with 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 Capitol Hill. I worry that it's a lot harder to do that today than it was when you were leader. I mean, it feels like it feels different now because of January 6th, because of everything. And I, I wonder sort of what your thoughts are about that on just can can people talk to each other anymore? Like, is it anybody friends over there anymore? Or what do you what do you see from your from your former colleagues and, and your current friends? Well, these are difficult, difficult uh, times. Uh, difficult times and the media is different and the members are different. You know, I had a great relationship with the Democratic leader uh, when I was the Republican leader, Tom Daschle from South Dakota. Uh, we communicated regularly. I had a red phone on my desk and when I picked it up, it only rang one place. It rang on Tom Daschle's uh, desk. But uh, now... Was it wait, was it literally red? It was really red and it, when I picked it up, it didn't ring at the Kremlin. It rang on Tom's desk <laughs> okay. and we used that to get around the media and quite frankly, to get around our own staffs. Yeah. When they realized our staff realized that Tom and I were talking direct and making a deal, they quite often got very nervous. But what has happened now, uh, members don't know each other as well. Uh, you know, the last year, the pandemic, you know, isolation, mask, uh, the, the, you know, some leaders tell their members to stay back home as much as you can to get reelected. That's a mistake. The job is in Washington. You should bring your families with you and not sleep in your office like you know, like it's public housing, for God's sake. But they don't communicate. Uh, it, and it started going downhill on communication with President Obama. He didn't particularly like talking to Congress. And the, the Democrats don't like to talk to the Republicans in the House and Senate and so on and so on. So it's it's gotten uh, very difficult uh, to get uh, things done. That, and that's uh, it's also uh, camaraderie. That's why I had things like Searsucker Thursday and Tartan Day. I was the first senator in history to wear a kilt on the floor of the Senate. That's why I had the singing senators. We weren't very good, but we had fun and we enjoyed each other's company. Um, and, and one other important thing in relation to our discussion, uh, CODELs, congressional delegations. Uh, when a delegation from the United States goes to Canada, they learn something. Or when they go to Spain or Germany or Russia, and I did them all. Uh, I was amazed at how uh, much it, I was informed by the meeting. And you, that's where you get to know you, the people on the other side of the aisle. I wound up in Geneva one time at an arms control meeting uh, in the control room at night, probably about 10 or 11 o'clock. And in that room was Ted Kennedy, uh, Jim Wright, who was in majority leader in the House of Representatives, Bob Michael, who was the Republican leader. And I was there. And uh, at the urging of Ted Kennedy, we sang Danny Boy. So that's how Ted Kennedy, Bob Michael, Trent Lott, we were friends. It reminds me, Senator, of the famous story of before we started the negotiation of Can the Kennedy's Free Trade Agreement, President Ronald Reagan was in Quebec City for a summit with Brian Mulroney, and they sang When Irish Eyes Are Smiling, Two Sons of Ireland, and it really bonded the two of them. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, uh, so I do think members will get back to taking congressional delegation trips. And I would urge them to go to Montreal and Quebec and Victoria, uh, you know, meet with our, our friends from Canada and the, the members of the, uh, the Canadian Parliament. That would help. That's a fabulous idea. Fabulous. Well, listen, thank you. I mean, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. This is I've learned a lot and I always love hearing your stories. And, and just uh, I, on, on my behalf, I want to say thank you. And Chris, I'll turn it over to you. I have to say thank you as well, Senator. That was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, and I know our listeners will really appreciate it. And we'll uh, have to have you back to actually sing next time. Uh, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Well, I've been known to do it. Uh, it takes only one or two to make the request and I'll just break out its song. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks so much. Right, Scotty. We'll we'll be going uh, in our next episode to Mike DeJong, who is a uh, BC legislator who's been involved uh, in many a dispute from the Canadian side. Uh, and then in part three, which we're really excited, we'll have the perspective of, of American home builders, some of the big users of both Canadian and American softwood lumber. So this is a very special series, but once you open it up, you realize just how complicated and, and really fascinating uh, Canada-U.S. relations issues can be. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.